And Lord, come now and move upon our hearts as we open up your word. Lord, we want your word not just to register as new thoughts in our brains, but we want, want this to impact our, our hearts and how we live our lives. And so would you do that, Lord, by the work of your Spirit, and help me as I teach to be clear um, and touch my own heart even more deeply, Lord. What, what amazing truths we have in your word, and we thank you. Meet us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is what Jesus would call us to do uh, at those times when we're tempted to turn away from him and sin. Okay? Thursday morning, I woke up, got my tea, went back to my study, sat down at my desk, opened up my Bible, started to read. But after like two or three minutes, I started to think about a problem that I had. And the more I thought about this problem that I had, the bigger and bigger the problem became. You know how this goes. And the smaller and smaller Jesus and his power and his goodness and his promises came. The problem got bigger. In my mind, Jesus got smaller. And I I realized I was being tempted to move into anger and uh, frustration and discouragement because of this problem. And I kept trying to, to read and it was just like I was being tempted. It was just like right there. So the question I want us to focus on is what should we do? What does Jesus call us to do at those times when we're tempted to sin? What does he call us to do at those times? Because, see, followers of Jesus, we get tempted. Okay? This should be no surprise to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean you stop being tempted. Followers of Jesus are tempted. Let me kind of put this into, into perspective. Most all of us here are followers of Jesus, and if you're not yet, we are really glad that you're here. And uh, our longing would be that you become a follower of Jesus. Let me explain what that means. To be a follower of Jesus means that God, in great love and goodness and mercy, has opened our eyes to see some crucial things that we were blind to before. We see God and his goodness, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his care for us. We see, and our hearts get broken, we see our sin, our rebellion against him, our turning our backs against him. But then he also opens our eyes to see and he encourages us with the truth of Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross. All of our sins, all of our turning away from God, past, present, future, all of it can be forgiven. So God opens our eyes to see certain things. And not only does he open our eyes, he changes our hearts. He subdues our rebellious will He takes out our hearts, our hard hearts of stone. He gives us a new nature which sees God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and loves God more than anything else. And as a result of that seeing and that heart change, we repent of our sins, put our trust in Jesus. For the first time, we are filled with the love of God poured into our hearts. For the first time, we're satisfied. We have that storehouse like Don was talking about earlier, we can drink in the peace and the joy and the peace of knowing God. His love flowing into us flows out to love our brothers and sisters who are also followers of Jesus. So we love each other, we care for each other, and then we join with each other to advance Jesus' mission into our neighborhoods, workplaces, web of relationships. All that's involved in what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And yet, even though all that has happened, we still get tempted to sin. How many of you have been tempted 
this last week, okay? This morning, okay? It, you have been. You've got to become more discerning, okay? You've all been tempted this morning. You're being tempted right now, okay? For example, uh, we get tempted to gossip about people. We get tempted to, to love money more than Jesus. We get tempted to uh, neglect each other, to get impatient, to get angry, to lose our temper. We get tempted to, to neglect God's word or prayer. We get tempted in just dozens and dozens and dozens of ways. Followers of Jesus get tempted. So we got that one settled. So if you're tempted, it doesn't mean you weren't really a follower of Jesus. Okay? In fact, if you notice you're tempted, that shows that you are, if you care. Okay, that's a good sign. Now I need to just throw in here really quick, when you are tempted and you yield... When you're tempted and you succumb to the temptation, you can immediately turn to Jesus, confess it to Jesus, repent before Jesus, and immediately forgiven. Forgiven. Immediately back. Okay? You don't need to try to do something good to get back into Jesus' good graces. This is the gospel. So important. And yet we so often fall into that. So when you are tempted and you succumb to temptation, you can immediately, Jesus is always there with his arms, open, open. He's like the prodigal son's father running towards you, okay? So immediately, immediately you can turn back to him, forgiven, healed, restored. So I just want to make sure you understand, when you're tempted... And you succumb, all is not lost. Okay? But now I also need to say that when you're tempted and you succumb, something is lost. Something is lost. Which is why it's so important that we resist temptation. I listed a couple things that are lost. One, when I succumb, I've lost an opportunity to glorify my hero my Savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ. I'll never have that opportunity again. I've lost that. That's a loss. I've lost some of the joy that I could have had in Jesus now and forever. That's just reality. I'm going to have great joy in Jesus now and forever, but I've lost some of what I could have had. I've also in some way allowed Satan's kingdom to gain ground here in the South Bay Area. I don't know how that all works. Romans talks about we can be either a weapon of righteousness or a weapon of unrighteousness. And in some way, I've risked eternity. I've dabbled in sin, which if I don't repent of it, could grow in me and cause me never to confess and to turn back to Jesus. So, all is not lost. Okay, you can immediately come back to Jesus and be forgiven and be restored through his death on the cross. But something is lost, and that's why it's vital that we learn how to resist temptation. So can I say both? Can you feel the truth of both? All is not lost. Come back to Jesus. It may be through tears after like Peter denied Christ and was weeping. He knew something had been lost, right? And yet he came back. And Jesus restored him. Read read the last chapters of John's Gospel. So what I want to focus on with that kind of framework and background is how do we resist temptation? 
How do followers of Jesus, when we're tempted, which we are dozens of times a day, how do we resist temptation? What I want to share with you is three promises about temptations. These are so exciting and encouraging. Uh, Three promises which if we will trust them and take them to heart, we will be enabled to resist and overcome the temptations that come our way. So the first two promises are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Let's turn there. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. 1 Corinthians 10 is found on page 957 in the Bibles that we're passing out. This is a verse I hope you all will memorize. It is such an encouraging verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's a little bit of background. Paul had traveled to Corinth. In fact, here's got a picture of Corinth. Corinth is a seaport right there. See that? Okay. Uh, Jerusalem's down here. Corinth is right there. Very commercial, very cosmopolitan seaport area. Large city, bustling business, commercial city. Paul had traveled there, told people about Jesus. People repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus. Paul stayed there for 18 months, and when he left, the church had been established. But after he'd been gone for a little while, he got word that there were some problems in this church, and so he wrote 1 Corinthians to address some of these problems. And one of the problems he addresses is that they were facing major temptation. And one temptation that they particularly faced was to return to idolatry. Corinth was like one of the idol-worshipping centers in uh, the area. They had a big old temple to Venus, for example. Um, And in this temple there were a thousand prostitutes to service the worshippers who came. And returning to idolatry was a constant temptation for the Corinthian believers. And so look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, about temptation. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I found two promises in this verse. The first one is that God only allows temptations that by his grace, we, his followers, can overcome. I see that in the first two lines. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That phrase common to man means by God's grace, as a human person, you're able to overcome it. That's what that phrase, I think, common to man means. Then he restates it. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. What this means is that God is sovereign, is in loving, wise, good, sovereign control over every temptation you face. Every single one. Loving control, wise control, sovereign control. Control And he only allows you to face the temptations that, by his grace, working in your life, you will be able to overcome. Have you ever seen that before? This is amazing. The analogy I thought of is like, like a boxing manager. Okay, I think this is how it works. Okay, Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. But if, if, a, if a manager has a boxer, and he's the manager, the goal is to have this boxer fight uh, people that he can beat 
who get progressively harder, victory, 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 until, so that he improves, he's got a perfect record, and he becomes a champion, because then the manager makes a lot of money, right? Isn't that how it works? Okay, you don't sound like you're really awake yet, but anyway, that, that, that's, that's how it works. Now, the problem, of course, is that no boxing manager is uh, all-knowing and all-wise, and so they make mistakes. God, on the other hand, is all-knowing and perfectly wise, and so he perfectly, flawlessly, only allows boxers to come against you that you, by his grace, can, can uh, beat. He only allows you to face temptations that you, by his grace, can overcome. So let that sink in. This is an amazing thing. You will never face, I think this is a valid implication to draw from the text. You look at it and think about it. I think a valid implication is that you will only face temptations that, by God's grace, you are enabled to overcome. You will never face one that you had to succumb to. Never. According to this verse. Never. Wow. Oh, Lord, is that what this verse says? Let me just read it again. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's what it says, friends. That's what it says. It's exactly what it says. Okay, so Thursday morning, there I am. And I'm feeling anger and discouragement and hopelessness start to rise up. And it's feeling strong. And it's growing in me. And I'm feeling it. And it feels so strong, you know what this is like, that it's like, nothing I can do about this. Wrong. God only allows temptations to come that are within our God-given ability. That temptation, no matter how I felt, was a temptation that by God's grace I could overcome. That's the first promise. Don't you love that one? Okay, they get better. Second, the last line in verse 13, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. So God provides a way of escape along with the temptation. Okay? Every temptation that comes down the the pipeline is, is packaged with a way of escape. You will never face a temptation alone. Every temptation you face, God has packaged with the way that you'll be able to escape it. Every single temptation. A way of escape. I read a few months ago about um, a silver mine in the Coeur d'Alene area of Idaho, where silver miners would go down miles beneath the surface and, and do their mining for silver. And I read about a fire that broke out down in this silver mine. And of course, fires are so dangerous for a number of reasons, but one is that toxic smoke and fumes start to, to rise up and push all the oxygen out, and that's how miners are killed. But every miner is given, you can barely see it there, one of these oxygen packs, okay? They have an oxygen pack. And so, so when the fire starts and the f- toxic fumes come, if the miner doesn't use this way of escape... Start breathing in. Oh, this is good, man. Much better than those toxic fumes. Then the mire can breathe and, and, and you know get on the trolley and ride out and not not suffocate because of the toxic fumes. If the miner doesn't use that way of escape, he will breathe in the toxic fumes and die. But if the miner does use the to- the uh, the oxygen pack, breathe that in, he'll be able to escape. It's exactly how it is with God when we face temptations. 
God always has an oxygen mask for you. So when you start to breathe the toxic fumes of the temptation, when, when I'm feeling this anger and frustration and hopelessness rising up in me and I'm starting to feel the toxicity of that, there's, a, there's an escape that God had for me that morning, Thursday morning. <laughs> Thursday morning, he had an escape for me. And as I breathed in that escape, well, I won't tell you what happened right yet. I'll get to the next promise coming to the punchline in a moment. So what sort of escapes does God give us? Now, one of the first ones I thought of just in general, remember the story of Joseph? How he escaped from the seductions of Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39? Remember that story? Read it. Very powerful. How did he uh, escape that temptation? He ran. Okay? And, and that, that can help sometimes, but what I have found is that most temptations are in here. And so as hard as I run, there they are. Okay? I can't run fast enough to empty them out. I just can't run that fast. So sometimes running will help, but there's another escape that will always be there for you with every temptation. That's the third promise. It's taught throughout the Bible, but I'd like you to look to Jeremiah 13.25 to see this third promise about temptations. So the first one, God only allows temptations that you, by his grace, working in your life, can overcome. And then the second promise is that God provides a way of escape along with every temptation. Third promise in Jeremiah 13.25. Page 642, by the way, in the Bibles were just passed out. I've been working on memorizing this verse. This is a great verse. A um, little bit of background. This is Old Testament. Before Jesus came, 600 B.C., Jeremiah was a prophet sent by God to the nation of Israel to point out to them their sin, to call them to repentance so that they could be forgiven and restored. And in Jeremiah 13.25, God talks to Jeremiah. And look at what he says. This is your lot. This is God talking to the nation of Israel. This is your nation of Israel, your lot. The portion, speaking of the punishment, the portion of punishment I've measured out to you, declares the Lord. So this is the lot that you've faced. This is the punishment I've poured out upon you because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. So when they sinned, what they had done was two things, two ways of saying the same thing. They had forgotten God and they had trusted in lies. Every sin, so it's so helpful if we get this, every sin involves forgetting God, you have momentarily forgotten about God, and you have bought, trusted, said yes to lies. Every time you sin. God's out of your mind. You've said yes to lies. I believe lies. That's what's going on every time we sin. So if you, if you ponder that, if, if temptation then means you're being fed a lie, see, every temptation, you're being fed a lie. So if, if every temptation means you're being fed a lie, how do you overcome a temptation? It's by feasting on the truth, Jesus' truth. The way you overcome a lie is by pondering the truth. And so the promise is this. God promises that every temptation is a lie. 
and can be escaped by trusting Jesus' truth. We've got to understand, every temptation is a lie. Now, that's hard for us to believe. Thursday morning, when I was feeling this anger and this frustration and this hopelessness rising up, it felt right. It was true. The problem that I was facing, it was a problem. And it was worth being frustrated about. You know, that's how it works, right? Temptations feel right. They feel true. But what we have to understand is that feeling of anger and hopelessness and frustration, as real as it feels, it's a lie. Wouldn't that be helpful if you could realize that? It's a lie. I mean, I'm feeling like it's true, but it's not true. It's a lie. So it's vital. Understand, God promises that every temptation is a lie and it can be escaped by trusting Jesus' truth. Let's take an example. Let's try to think of, let's say we're being tempted to be jealous. Anybody heard about the new Tesla electric sports cars? Okay, Justin, you got those all right? Okay, zero to 60. Don't start getting jealous about these right now, okay? Just, this is just for illustrative purposes. Zero to 60 in 3.9 seconds, an electric sports car. It gets the equivalent of 256 miles per gallon. Wow. Starting at $105,000, okay? I did a little bit of math. I thought, okay, now I'll buy a car for $20,000. That's $85,000 for gas. I can go 180,000 miles at $4 a gallon. Anyway, we will go there. But it wouldn't go zero to 60 in 3.9 miles, nor would I have my neighbors being jealous about me. Anyway, okay, so, so you're... If you're a real car guy, or maybe you're not a car guy, maybe you're like jealous over how somebody looks. Or you're jealous about somebody else's kids. Or you're jealous about somebody else's job, or salary, or position, or clothes. Okay? Or career, whatever, right? Okay, but let's say you're a total car guy, so you're, you're just feeling this. It's like, you need a car like that. You have to, to, to really be satisfied, you have to have a car like that. I mean, can, that's what jealousy is. You're feeling it, right? You're not just thinking maybe. You're thinking, you, this is just like totally true, right? Do any of you ever get jealous about anything? Just a few. What do you guys get jealous about? Harley. Harley, same stuff. Okay. Okay, so, oh, brother. Okay, we're with you. All right, so, so you're feeling this jealousy like, I will just not be satisfied until I have that. Why does he get one and I don't? It's wrong. I deserve one. I should get one. And there's this whole discontent thing going on, right? You're just feeling the discontentment of you not having a Tesla, 0 to 60 in 3.9 seconds car. Now, you've got to think these three promises. First of all, here's this temptation. God only allows you to be tempted with temptations that by his grace you can overcome. Whew. You're not feeling that. But that's the truth. And then secondly, there's a way of escape here. This temptation comes packaged with a way of escape. There's a way I can escape that total feeling of discontentment. And then third, the way of escape is to find the lie behind the temptation and oppose it by trusting Jesus' truth. So what's the lie behind the temptation to be jealous over my neighbor's Tesla? What's the lie? Well, here, I just wrote it down this way. It's obvious. The lie is that I need a new Tesla to be satisfied. That's the lie. That is a lie. It's a lie. Or whatever you have in your mind, it's a lie. 
That is not true. Listen, if I got a Tesla, I'm not that big of a car guy, honestly. I try to think of something that some of you could relate to. But anyway, uh, it would be cool for you know maybe a month or two. But after that, it'd just be a way to get around. I guarantee it. Just like way to get around. Okay. Then you then you like then you'd need the like the red one or something after that, right? Okay. That's how it works. So the Tesla is not going to satisfy you. I promise you, it will not satisfy you. That's the lie. But so how do you? You're feeling it though. How do you oppose it? Is the truth and. A truth that I use, I've mentioned this verse numerous times over these last weeks. One truth that would help, there's many, but one is John 6.35. If I come to Jesus in my heart, talk to Jesus, believe in Jesus, he will completely satisfy all my heart hungers and thirsts. The Tesla will not satisfy me. What will satisfy me? Jesus Christ. Now you may have never felt that. And so you're thinking, you know, cliche alert, cliche alert. This sounds like, you know, this is Christianese. If you've never felt the storehouses that Don was talking about, if you've never felt what it is to have Jesus' love poured into your heart, that's where it all starts. Many here in this room would testify their highest, by a long shot, joys, their deepest by a long shot, satisfactions come from knowing the living Jesus. And so, I'm feeling jealous. The lie is, I've got to have that to be satisfied. The truth is, no, Jesus, you're my satisfaction. As I talk to Jesus about John 6.35, say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm being tempted. Wash me clean. Break the power of that. Help me to see who you are. You are my heart's satisfaction. Take my attention away from that car and put it back onto you. And I would just talk to Jesus about that, ask him for help with that, read over John 6.35, trust that promise until Jesus meets me and the temptation would be vanquished. Okay, let me give you one to work on. Let's say you're being tempted to ignore your neighbors and not get to know them. Okay? Anybody relate to that? You see them taking out their trash. You see them mowing the lawn. You know that Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself, which certainly applies to your, you know, your next door neighbors. But you're tempted not to. You just don't want to. Uh. Now, there's lots of possible right answers, but what are some of the lies that could be behind that? There's lots of right answers here. What are some of the lies that might persuade you not to go and connect with your neighbor? I have nothing in common with them. Okay, so I'll go over there, and it's like, uh, it'll be really awkward. What else? I don't have time. Right. Got plenty of people to take care of, to get to know, to, to hang out with. What else? They have a Tesla, and I don't. They have a Tesla, and I don't. There's one person who, who appreciated that Tesla illustration. Still in your mind. Brother, God will free you right now. <laughs> he will. Okay. Okay. All right. So they have a Tesla, and I don't. What else? What else? I may not like them. He may not like me. Yeah, he may not like me. I'll, I'll screw it up, right? Um, it'll be like really awkward and weird. It'll be worse than if I said nothing. Okay, right? Any others? These are the ones that I use. If they would have wanted to get to know me, they would have come over and talked to me. So they're going to think like, I made it really clear. What are you doing over here? Okay, well said. Okay, so there, and there's, there's probably lots of other, other answers, okay? But see, the point is, if you're tempted not to get to know your neighbor, there's a lie that you've bought and God whom you forgot. 
Okay? Every time. You've got to understand that. I am believing a lie now. I have forgotten God now. That's just the truth. Every time I'm tempted. So what are some truths from Jesus that, could, that we could ponder that would kick us out of you know, our house and get us next door to love our neighbors and hear their story and befriend them? What are, what are some of the truths of Jesus? Pardon? Everybody needs Jesus. Your neighbor needs Jesus. Powerful. Just to ponder that, okay? What else? Go ye. And I will be with you always. There's the promise. Okay, so Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, go. Right? What don't you understand about the word go? That's different from stay. This is go. Okay? But he says, I will be with you. So the whole thing about not having anything in common, or I'm going to totally screw it up, or it'll be awkward, even if it is, Jesus is smiling. Yes, good job. You did good. You did good. Okay? How about 2 Corinthians 9, 8? God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That verse is so full of superlatives. Always everything, just any way you can slice it and dice it, God's grace will cover you for it. Okay, so what I would do, because I am tempted. I'm I'm an introvert. I'm a loner. I'm really tempted not to connect with neighbors. And over the last three or four years, God's been working with me with some of these promises. And so what I've done and what I'm continuing to do is to pray and talk to Jesus about these. Jesus, you said go. You said all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth, so I should go. And you'll be with me as I go. And they need you, Jesus. And you've told me to love them. And you've poured your love into my heart. I want to love them. And so I'll try to remember Jesus and resist the lies. And God's been changing my heart and giving me a desire to do that. Now, for me, that's really, really big. To have a desire to do that. Not just, I'm supposed to do it, but I want to trust your promises. You'll be with me. One other promise that has helped me is where Jesus says in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There's spiritual food that will come as we do what Jesus calls us to do. Some good eating. Okay. Um, finances, I've got that down in your notes there. You can check it out. If you're worried about your finances, some of the lies, I'll just go over this real briefly. Uh, when I'm tempted to worry about finances, I'm believing that Jesus won't take care of my finances. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything you need will be taken care of. Everything. It's powerful. So if I'm worried about finances, I'm believing the lie that Jesus won't. And the way to fight the worry is to talk to Jesus about Matthew 6.33. To read that whole passage, Matthew 6 Powerful, powerful teaching on not worrying, especially as things are getting tight in the economy now. This is so helpful, isn't it? Okay, so let me go back to my Thursday morning story, and then you can ask some questions, and we can see if this is making sense. So I kept reading my Bible reading for the day, and it was just like, God, help me. I'm so sorry. I'm just feeling this anger and this rage and this frustration. And I have to tell you, my Bible reading, it did not go very well. I mean, but I'm just saying, Lord, help me. I'm so sorry, but I, I, I kept reading. I kept saying, show me a verse here that would be helpful. And I just kept reading, and, and nothing was helping, okay? I'm, at least that I could tell. All right, I'm sure it did. And then I, I, uh, I went for a walk down by the creek, and I just I said, Jesus, I need to set my heart upon you. I, I, I knew that somehow I needed more truth of Jesus. And so I just started thanking Jesus that he died on the cross for me. I thanked him that he bore my sins in his body on the cross 
So I'm totally forgiven. I just was talking to him about that. I was talking to him about his love for me, how he cares about me. And then, then this verse popped into my mind, 1 Peter 1.13. This is so amazing. It says, Hope fully, that is put all of your hope into the grace that will be coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, at the end of history, Jesus is going to be revealed. And at that moment, those who know and love him, grace will come from seeing him. And so Peter says, put your full hope on that event. And it just, bing, it just struck me. I have not had my full hope on that. I've been hoping in this over here. And my problem is threatening this over here, which is why I'm so bummed. Oh, I'm hoping in this. I want to hope in him. And so I just started to say, help me to hope in you, Jesus, fully with everything I've got. I'm going to take my hope out of that and put it in you. And I I tell you, within three or four minutes, this is just, I mean, if you could have felt my heart at the time, this is a miracle. The, the, The anger lifted off of me. I mean, it was gone. And the frustration and the hopelessness was just gone. And I was free. The problem was still there. The problem is still there. I'm a different man because of the truth. Put your hope fully in seeing Jesus at the end of history. I've been fallen for the lie that that situation is crucial for my joy and satisfaction. It's not. He is. That's how it works. So Lord, I pray that this week would be a week of growth for us as a church, that when we're tempted this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, we would see that you're in control. This is a temptation that by your grace, by your work in us, can be overcome, that we would trust that there's a way of escape that you've provided, and that part of that escape is seeing the lie, trusting Jesus' truth. I pray that this week would be a week of power and victory and joy as we experience this together. So move upon all of us now, Lord, as we, as we ask you for help about the different areas that we're being tempted in.